Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. two things are happening this year. Either someone was leaving the country or getting married. It's like, some people didn't get the memo. <laughs> uh, I'd have said you're next, but I don't know if that's God's will right now for you. Um, but I know that in due time, all that God has asked you to do will be accomplished in your life in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. We've had a fantastic teaching this month, and we're, we're wrapping it up quickly and surely. Um, but now I'm reminded of a story, very important. Uh, touching story. It's it's spring of 1912, and there's this gigantic, massive vessel, you know, moving across the North Atlantic Ocean. And in that, you have these two starstruck lovers who chase themselves and are all about themselves, madly in love with each other. And this somewhat unsinkable vessel hits an iceberg, and right now you already know where we're going with this. It's an iceberg, and the, the 16 layer waterproof uh, vessel that you know, was deemed to be indestructible starts to sink, and all hell breaks loose, and people start to panic, and people are running helter skelter, you know, getting lifeboats, trying to save the kids and, and, and the wives and women in time. And these two lovers are stranded, nowhere to go. The ship surely sinks and submerges into the ocean. And they're there trying to float, trying to survive in sub-zero Atlantic Ocean, trying to survive not just from drowning, but from the cold. They were at risk of hypermetropia, about freezing to death. And these guys are together. Luckily, they find a raft, a wooden raft, plastic, whatever it is, it's floating. And it's big enough for just one person. You remember the story, right? And somehow Jack looks at Rose and says, look, I love you so much. I want you to get on this raft. He said, no, no, no. You take it, you deserve it. You've been kind to me. You've loved me all this while. I don't deserve it. No, you take it, baby. No, you take it, baby. And finally, she says, okay. She takes the raft. She floats on it. She's scared, still cold, but better than being in the freezing water. And Jack is there, shivering, closing his eyes, opening them again, closing his eyes, opening them again, until the point where he can't open them again. He dies. And Rose is safe on the raft till she's rescued by the Navy. But he's there, drowned, ice cold water dead. He saved her life, sacrificed his life even, to save the love of his life. He did it because of love. Was it really love though? Was it really love? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we have. I pray that one thing everyone lives here is, is that they leave looking like you. Not trying to be the best version of themselves, no not trying to be the best they can be, but to be you, to be like you, to be 
truly made in your image, both in, in spiritual realities and practical realities, that they're more like you through this teaching. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So where we are at, we're in 1 John chapter 3 from verse 13. We're going to get back to that story, but I have so much to unpack with this. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3 from verse 13. Are you excited about the Word of God? Yes, Does sir. the Word of God bless you? Yes, sir. Does it change your life? Does it inspire you? Yes, sir. I believe it does. I love the Word of God. I cannot do without it. I really hope that's your testimony as well, that you cannot do without the Word of God. Are you there? Bring out your Bibles, your, as Pastor Chisholm said, bring out your writing materials, everything. Get ready to soak it all in. All right, I'll try to be as quick as possible because I know these things take time. It's just 12 verses, literally, but it's going to take almost two hours to finish. For we will finish it. Amen. Amen. Verse 13, are you there? Very clear instruction. It says, do not marvel, my brethren. This is a clear instruction from God to stop watching Marvel movies. <laughs> it's there. Check every version. It's there. Don't. Black Panther is coming up soon. What does the word of God say? Don't marvel, guys. Praise the name of Jesus. I'm sorry. Uh, let's reverse. Let's rewind. Let's start again. Do not marvel, my brother. My brother. If the world hates you, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. It's telling you, do not be confused. If the world hates you, it tells you from what we've read before in chapter 2 even, where we talked about the Lord versus the world. We've seen that the world has expectations, has an agenda, has a belief, has a stance. And because you've been called by the Lord, you've been translated from darkness, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. There is a difference, there's a great divide, there's a chasm between light and and darkness between the Lord's side and the world's side. It means that if you are opposed to the world, you will get some hate. You will get some backlash. Some of you have seen this example just practically. Maybe you posted something on your social media. You just put it out there innocently. God is always good. And before you know it, someone just replies you and drags you by your head, your wig, your leg, just says you. How you know God is good? Who is God? Have you seen him? How do you prove this? Have you seen the evil out there in the world? You are stupid. How can you say this? You should be punished for saying something so stupid. Blah, 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 blah. You know this has happened to some people. And the other side thing, Jesus loves you or Jesus died for your sins and you just get this backlash, this hate. Or you even stand on something more controversial, like a societal issue that you stand and say God doesn't, doesn't accept and promotes homosexuality, he doesn't stand by that. And people will come for you. Or God doesn't condone abortion because it's murder, and people just attack you left, right, and center. Surprisingly, even people in faith. It's no surprise, he says. Don't, don't be surprised. <laughs> it's expected. And what I also see in reverse is you should be surprised if the world doesn't hate you. Do you see that? You should be surprised. You should marvel. If the world loves you all the time, 
and supports you and you don't step on anyone's toes who is part of the world system and you're just you're just nice everyone is good to you there's no backlash all your words are inspirational but never provocative it tells you that there's something to be concerned about because the way God designed you to function is not to blend can you say it God did not design me to blend <laughs> If you have a blender in your house, just carry it right now for inspiration. I wish I had one. Can you just bring it over to me, please? I want this to sink in. Bring it, bring it. It's fine, it's fine. Bring it over, bring it over. Carry your blender. Go to your kitchen. Disturb your mother, whoever it is. Let me just get it for you. Thank you. Thank you. Look at this. God, lift it up. God did not design me to blend. Glory to God. I was not designed to blend. I was not designed to mix. Oh, glory to God. I was designed to what? Not even to trend. God designed me to stand out, to be set apart, to be different. Now I need to drop this. <laughs> but you got the picture. God did not design you to blend with the world system. He designed you to stand out as a light and darkness. And I've read this a lot of times, and I'm going to read it again. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 15. Let it sink in. There needs to be an end to the blend. Do you need a sink? Okay? <laughs> what? Do you need a sink? Do I need a sink? Oh, I need a sink. Please bring a sink so that it can sink in. You, we, don't, we don't have that? We don't? It's not? I can't cry. You can't cry? Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. Uh, I hope it sinks in. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Uh, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 15. Let's go there. I'm ready from the NKJV. Oh, glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. It says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. That you may become what? Blameless and harmless. And when you look at it, it seems, oh, harmless. Don't offend anyone. Don't hurt anyone's feelings. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying in your works, in your conduct, you should be blameless and you should not be antagonistic or in the sense of being hurtful to people. It says, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a faulty and crooked and shaky and dark and perverse generation, amongst whom you what? Shine as lights. So there is, there is a way the world is going. There is a darkness. And they say, no, you, you are meant and you are designed to shine as a light. You were not designed to blend in. So everyone is saying a certain thing. And everyone, ten out, nine out of ten people around you are saying the same thing. But you know it's wrong. You know this is not what God ordained from the beginning. You know what God designed when he created all things and said it was good. And God said that, that marriage should be between a man and a woman. And for the sake of tolerance and inclusion, people are saying otherwise. That Steve can get with, you know, Adam can get with Steve and, and, and Madam can get with Eve. And they're creating a different construct than what God intended. But if you're going to be a light, oh, you will speak up. You say, well, I understand you want to be tolerant, and I love those people as well, and I, I love them with all my heart, but I don't accept that this is true. 
I don't. A place where you stand as a light without compromise. Because you're in a crooked generation. It's perverse. Perverse means that anything that was, look at this, anything that was created some way, perverse, you know, perverting it means to transform it to the exact opposite. In such a way that sometimes you might not even notice. But that's what the devil came to do. There is nothing that he was able to invent. He is not that intelligent. What he did is all the things God created, he's perverted them. The idea of sex, the idea of love, the idea of justice. He's perverted it all till we don't even know where we stand. But if you're going to be a child of God, the Bible says you will stand as a, as a, as a light. You will shine as a light in this world. We will always, by the grace of God, push back the forces of the enemy till God returns in Jesus' name. But you should be surprised if no one has backlashed against you, if no one has said no or had an argument with you because of what you believe in the faith. Something is up. Something is up. I'm not saying look for trouble, but I'm saying if trouble wants to find you, let it find you. Do you understand? But stand for Jesus. You're willing to get into some trouble because of your faith. If the world loves you, there's a problem. The world, if the Lord, if, if the world, I beg your pardon, is retweeting you all the time. The word is sharing your posts. The word is, is agreeing with you every time. There's something to be concerned about. Verse 14. But this is what he's getting to, and I'll, I'll let you know. So he said, do not marvel, brethren, if, if the world hates you. And as much as you should marvel when the world loves you, you should also marvel if your brethren, or if, if there is hatred amongst the brethren. So if it's with the world, it's understandable. <laughs> if they hated Jesus, they would hate you as well. But now, in the same body of Christ that you belong, there's hatred going, ah, you should be surprised. Something is wrong somewhere. And that's where he's going into. Verse 14. We know that we have passed. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. The word past here, when it says that we have passed, that we have passed actually is one word. It is meta bebe kamen. <laughs> I love this word. It's so sweet. Meta bebe kamen. It sounds like in Korean. You know, sorry. Pardon my Korean. Uh, yeah, it literally means metamorphosis. That's what it means metamorphosis, a transformation. A translation, a migration, an emigration, whatever you want to call it, it's that you have passed, you've been transformed, you've metamorphosized from one place to another. From where to where? From death to life. From death to life, you are in a new life. And how do you know? It says there's a, there's a proof that you've truly been saved, that you've truly moved from death to life because you love the brethren. Because you love the brethren, your brothers and sisters in Christ. He who does not love his brother, and in this case, brother is the same word as brethren, which means it's non-gender, right? Brother or sister. He who does not love his brother abides in death. That means if you are actively practicing hatred for brother, your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ, it shows that you've truly, or maybe you've not truly experienced 
fully the, 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 the transformation from death to life. And, and this is a difficult thing to read because I don't know about you, when you read this, especially if you're in a place where there's someone or a group of people, wherever they are, that you are bitter against and you are spiteful against and you are angry against and you hate them and you just resent them so much. It's an attack, almost an attack saying that maybe you're not really saved. It's a difficult thing to swallow. But let's look at the scripture a bit. I want to show you some of the fruits of hatred, what hatred can lead to. All right, and it gets, I'm telling you, this is only just the surface. It gets, <laughs> it gets really intense as we go on. It gets really intense. So, uh, Colossians chapter 3 from verse 8. Colossians chapter 3 from verse 8. It says this. Open your Bibles, please. Colossians chapter 3 from verse 8. It says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So some of the fruits of hatred, you see anger, you see intense anger, which is wrath. You see malice. There is a bit of bitterness that comes into it. There is filthy language. And in fact, with that comes gossiping and slander. And many people don't realize this, but gossiping and slander many times, uh, especially slander, gossiping could be true of someone, you know, when you say something behind someone's back, it might be true, but they're doing it with the aim of staining their image or bringing them down or, you know, just to attack them. When you slander, however, many times it's with the wrong information. Many times it's, it's actually in the Ten Commandments where you're not to bear false witness against your neighbor. Where you're not to bring down the name and reputation of a person with falsehood and with lies. And a lot of people do it in the body of Christ. It, 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 it hurts. This one is, is an epidemic in the body of Christ. It is. And let's call it spirit pain. Sometimes you see someone, oh my goodness, this, this happened. I, I, this has happened. <laughs> I wish it didn't happen as many times as it happened to me. But imagine someone, just imagine this scenario. There's someone who you had spent time. In fact, this is a real story. The particular person that spend time coaching in a particular thing. I coached this person, taught them a particular skill that I'm good at, um, and I talked to this person. In fact, during that week, uh, that was a week till the exam time. And just because I felt, you know, this person really needed it, I, I took at least an hour of my time, three, day, three days in that week, spending the time teaching this person, you know, tutoring, researching, Free of charge, <laughs> free of charge. You know, and then before I knew it, um, two weeks after, I'm hearing from someone else that this person was bad mouthing me. This person was saying that hmm, all these men of God, they're the same. All these men of God, they're this, they're that. And I was like, wait, I, I can't marry these two things together. I, I mean, during, before that time, and, uh, and when I found out about this, this person will see me every day. Say, hey, how are you? Good, good to you. Uh, how are you? Hey, fine, fine, good, good. I need to go. Blah, 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 you know? And this person was actively talking behind my back. The supposed sister in the body of Christ was doing this, spoiling my reputation for no just cause. And I approached this person. I said, 
this is what I heard of me. I don't waste time. I want, I give, I give this person some time to complain. This person didn't, so I came. I said, tell me, what's up? What did I do wrong? I was like, what do you mean? I know you've been saying things about me behind my back. What did I do? Tell me. This person just started crying for some reason that, you know, they don't know what happened. Just felt like saying these things. They just want that, that we're not just happy that things are going well for me. It was a messed up situation, like no just cause. And that was happening. Now imagine I actually did something wrong. Ha. <laughs> you know there are some Christians that you it somehow feels you cannot tell them some secrets. Because by the time you tell them that thing, it's not staying, it's going to move. It moves faster than channel television. It's going to reach everywhere. And there's some non-believers that you share, you know they will keep it in. It's a, this is a character issue, it's a character flaw, inconsistent with our nature in Christ. And I, and I believe John was writing this to correct the people in this time. And look, if you are living with bitterness in your heart, maybe the name of someone just, ah, just irritates you. The thought of someone just, ah, just, just madness. You can't find or see yourself talking to them. It's telling you that there's something to be watchful about. And, and the truth is, even rightly so, even if the brethren, they are annoying, they are, they are undeserving, they are duplicitous, they are distant, they are gossiping, they are spiteful, he's saying your response as a believer is always going to be love. Has always going to, it's always going to be love. It's always got to be love. Is there anyone you can think of right now that has hurt you in the past, or has made that mistake, or has been a pain, real pain in your life. It could be a relative, it could be a friend, it could be a classmate, it could be anybody, it could be an ex. Can you think of someone right now? Maybe you can't, I'm happy for you. If you can, the question is, have you forgiven this person? Do you, are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to move on in love? I'm not saying to be close friends with them now. I'm not saying to be their best friend. I'm saying have you decided to let it go? Because there's something I say every time and it's true. If you don't let it go, you're going to stay frozen. You're going to stay frozen. Frozen in time, frozen in bitterness. Have you let it go? Have you let it go? Have you forgiven? Because you see, there are expectations of us as believers. And I want to just say this and bear my heart out with you. There are expectations. If you understand what you've been called into to be a light, it, it tells you that the things you do will not always be with how the world sees you know, the things we ought to do. When you talk about love, the, the way the world defines love will always be different from how God defines Finds love. The love of the world is do me and I do you. It's quid pro quo. I only do good to you if you do good to me. I'll only be nice to you if you're nice to me. But the Lord Jesus changes the game and, and he raises the bar and says, Love your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. It starts there. Love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Bless them. Don't pay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Romans 12 talks about that as well. It, 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 Jesus says it again. He says, what good is it if you, can, you only give to the people who can give you back? What good is it when you love people who only love you back? He said, what reward is there that even sinners do these things? It's telling you there's a difference about your love. The agape kind of love is a love that the world will never understand, but it's a love that should be at home with you. It's a love that is default with you. Your default setting to love unconditionally. Just as God has loved you, who was undeserving to love them back, who are undeserving. Look at the scripture. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, you know I was going here, right? <laughs> you know I was going here, but there's something so powerful about this. It's, it's the love revealed. The love that God has. It's, it's explained here. And I'm reading 1 Corinthians 13. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'll read verse 4 to 5 and then verse 7. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. I love the word patient. I love that word so much. Patience is something that many of us use when you're expecting something from the Lord and you want him to perform some miracle in your life. And that is some part of patience, some part of long-suffering. But this patience, when it comes to love, is more about being patient to these people who have wronged you. Be patient with them. Be patient in their shortcomings. Because the truth is, if someone has a bad habit that offends you, guess what? Because it's a habit, it will happen again. And again, and again, and again, and it can be insufferable. It can be so painful and disgusting and irritating. But the kind of love God has called us is the one that is patient with them in their process. That as God is transforming you and making you better, he's doing that for them too. And you can bear longer with their mistakes. Mm. You can bear longer with their, with their faults. To be patient. Be patient. Oh my goodness. This person has, oh, this person has taken my Milo again. Oh my God. Every time. Why did you take it? I'm so sorry. It's just a force of habit. You're so annoying. I know. <laughs> it's fine. That's fine. It's okay, it's fine, it's just me alone. It's fine. Please don't take it. Just ask me. Two days later. Oh my goodness. This person has what a and you're patient and patient. And patience by the way may you buy them me look. So that they don't have any excuse. Helping them on their journey. You know? God expects this from us. God wants us to be patient with people. Alright? Patient. And kind. Kindness is a word we don't find too often. Kindness is, is such a basic word that it's hard to even explain it. But you will know kindness when you see it. Right? When someone is kind to you, you will tell. You will hear it. You will feel it. You will detect it in their tone, in their actions. Someone who is kind will be selfless to you. Someone who is kind will make you feel loved and make you feel happy. Make you feel seen. Love is that. Love is kind. Love is kind. Then it says, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love is not jealous. When people are walk, walk in hatred, there's a lot of envy. There's a lot of jealousy that goes around. But that's not love. Love sees people doing well and celebrates them. 
Love is seeing people who are doing great and maybe better than you, and you, you, you look to them, you celebrate God in their lives, and believe for yourself as well. That's what God does. That's what love does. But I'm getting somewhere. Now it says, love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. <laughs> this one is, is a bit difficult. It's a bit difficult. This is where you have to be quick to give the benefit of the doubt to people. It's something you have to practice. You have to give them the BOTD. The benefit of the doubt, you have to, every time. Because many times when there's someone you don't like or you have the propensity not to like someone, and you know there's some people that, that come to mind, that these people are just irritated. Like, they, they just that default. You need to learn how to just give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume things. We, we tend, when it comes to people we don't like, we tend to fill in the blanks. We tend to assume the worst about them. We tend to just say, the reason they did this is because they don't like me. It's because this, it's because that. And you might not be right, you know? Be quick to give the benefit of the doubt. Do not be irritable. Don't be quick to get irritated. And then it says, love keeps no record. I, love keeps no record of wrongdoing. This simply means that when there are people who offend you, love becomes blind. The TV show on Netflix, Love is Blind, is it? Yes, it is blind. Of course, that's a different concept. But in terms of faults and wrongdoing, you make the decision not to define people by their mistakes. You, you make it a clean slate. This does not mean that with people who have done wrong things that, red, that are red flags you overlook, especially when it comes to romantic relationships. But that one, Love is Not Blind, though. Love is wise. <laughs> um, but in terms of your relationship with a fellow brother and sister in the body of Christ, ah, love bears no record of wrongdoing. It doesn't. So this person betrayed you, and you see them, it's not betrayal. You're seeing fellow child of God. You're seeing joint heir with Christ. You're seeing blood-washed, born-again Christian. Do not take account. Do not bear records of their wrongs. Better. You know, easier said than done. That's why the agent of love, the spirit of God, was deposited in you for this very reason. But your, your love cannot be the kind of love the world propagates. And it's only to those who support you, those who's, you know, who are for you and with you. you know, it's even to the most undeserving of men. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. Right. I love something that, that uh, Charles Spurgeon once said in one of his his uh, commentaries, he mentioned that um, do you love people for Christ's sake? He asked the question, do you actually love people for Christ's sake? Do you say to yourself that this is one of Christ's people? That is one who bears Christ's cross. That is one of the children of God. Therefore, for Christ's sake, I love him and I take delight in his company. Then it is an evidence that you are not of the world. When you can see someone that just for the reason that they identify with Christ and being a child of God, your default, and whether you feel it or not, your default is I accept you and I love you and I will accommodate your company. I will accommodate you in my life. Right? And I'm not saying bring everybody that, that, that claims to be a Christian to your life. There's a place for discernment. But at the same time, you have no choice but to love no choice. 
verse 15. And he gets serious. <laughs> Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is strong because just a few verses ago, he talks about so a particular guy called Cain. You remember Cain, right? He talks about a guy called Cain at the beginning who killed his brother. And you know, when you look at it, Cain hated his brother. It started there. It started with, a, with, with hatred, and the hatred led to envy. And envy, you know, brought about bitterness and spite and anger. But one fruit that comes with a strong hatred for someone is murder or the intention to murder. And I know many of you are like, oh, that's, this is too much. You know, I've never thought about killing someone in my life. And that's good. I'm happy. But when you look at the gravity and the fruit of it, to the Lord, it's, it's equivalent to murder. Just like when Jesus spoke about this, he says, look, I know you've defined adultery with having an external affair with some woman someplace, but I'm telling you, just by lustfully looking at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. This is a kind of murder in your heart, where your, your hatred is inspiring you to think things so bad that sometimes you might wish this person dead. Sometimes you want this person to not exist, to lose everything they have, to just have bad things and tragedy come to them because you hate them so much. It's a kind of murder, John says. And it says, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you harbor hatred, it's, it's a very valid proof, an acid test. Sometimes it could be that you just need some more sanctification, or you just need a teaching like this to put you on the right track, to help you see better. But if you consistently leave, live, even after receiving this information, and, and have this, this word and instruction from scripture, then you continue to actively choose to hate someone and say, forget this, just, I mean, forget this thing, screw that, screw this love, this unconditional love, I want to do what I want to do. It's proof that you've not really received the love that Christ offers. It's proof that you're not really living in the newness of life. Verse 16, are you following so far? First John three sixteen. I love this verse, and you're gonna find out why says by this we know love because he laid down his life for us who is he talking about he's talking about our lord jesus this is how we perceive love this is how love can be perceived and seen this is the example for love in our lives the true kind of love because he laid down his life for us because he laid down his life for us and then he doesn't stop there. He says that we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And commonly I've said this, that 1 John 3.16 really is the response to John 3.16. And you can see a bit of John 3.16 in the first line here. That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to lay down his life for us. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But the response to that is not just say, oh, wow, oh, Jesus, you laid down your life. Great job. That was awesome. Wonderful stuff. 
The response is that because he had done it, he laid the example for you to follow. Jesus was not just the first fruit in resurrection, he was also the first fruit in death. He set the example of sacrifice. He set the example for losing one's life to save another's, another's life. That's it. He's our example. He says, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you think that maybe Jack in Titanic read this scripture? <laughs> Back to the story. What do you think happened there? Was this the kind of sacrificial love that God expects of us? That you're willing to put someone on a life raft, even if it means you costing your life? First of all, when I was it, maybe because of the movies, we never can know how it might have happened. Right? Uh, when I watch the movies, I'm like, maybe, now was this long ago, maybe they could have shared that raft, possibly. Maybe they took turns. You know, as one is getting cold, he 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 cold, ah, cold is catching me, cold is catching me. Oh yeah, let's go. You know, you're not switching. I don't know, but it also means that it might have been dangerous. Like switching could have turned the raft and they lose the raft altogether. I don't know, but I I, I think somehow there's a story there. I, I know sometimes people have mocked it too, said why couldn't they have taken places? But I think the heart there is is clear where you're willing literally to lose your life, to lay it down for someone else. Now, that was romantic love. Somehow, it might even be easier. Maybe like what you hear in that song that you can catch a grenade for that person. I can catch a grenade for you. I can da 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 I don't know the rest. I just know the grenade part. Truly, like, it's easy for the one you love. Not easy, but it's easier for you to be able to catch a grenade for the one that you love or willing to, to, to freeze to death to save the one that you love romantically. But is that something that you are willing to do to someone who maybe is, you just met? It's just someone you met in the body of Christ was a stranger before you met them, their brothers or their sisters in Christ, and you can still lose your life for them. The way Jesus lost his life for such that he did it for undeserving people. He was dying literally for people who put him there on the cross. Who literally said, crucify him. And he, on that cross still looked at these people he was dying for. He didn't say, oh, if I had known. If I had known they would do this rubbish. Oh, Father. Father. Do you know what Jesus said uh, when you were about to arrest him in Matthew 24? Powerful stuff. You know, when Peter tried to come to his rescue and cut the ear of the, 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 the guard's servant, Jesus fixed the ear, put it back, but looked at Peter and said, put down your sword. If you live by the sword, you will die by it. He said, don't you know that if I call my father now to rescue me, he will send legions of angels. I think the scripture said 12 legions. And if you know what a legion is, it's thousands of angels. So 12 legions of that, and he will rescue me. Like, he had, he had the right, he had the power to do that. And he just said, look, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going the long haul. You guys don't deserve it, but I'll do it for you anyways, because I really, really love you. That is the example. Even those that couldn't care less about you, people who might not even benefit from it, people who might not even appreciate it, people who even try to take advantage of you, still, 
This is the example we see in scriptures. It's, it's unheard of. There's, there's no religion that I know of you that teaches this. This is how you shine as a light. It has to be a different kind of love than what we are used to or what is comfortable. It has to be different. This is the life you've been called to, dear brother and sister, to lay down your life. And this is not suicide. It is a good kind of suicide. But at the end of the day, it's, it, it's more than just suicide. People say, I'm giving your life. Is that not willingly taking your life? Like maybe Jesus also, our Lord, committed suicide. There's a difference. And I've, I've taught this several times. Suicide is, is you being, suicide is a place, comes from a place of selfishness. Where it's all about you and how you feel and how you are not doing this and this is not happening to you and you and you and you and you. It's all about you. And then you decide not to put faith in the Lord or put hope in front and end things and give up. And I'm saying this as sensitively as I can. Maybe you have had those thoughts or societal thoughts before in your life. Look, I empathize with you, but that is not where true strength is. True strength is actually in sticking till the end, even when there's no ray of hope in sight. But to put hope in front and endure till the end, that is where true strength is. But this is not suicide. It's not, I love you, baby. Okay, then prove it. Shoot. <laughs> that was foolishness. And you know, how would you be with the person if you take your life that way? There's a, there really is a difference between sacrifice and suicide. Sacrifice. It's all about the person in front of you. It's all about the person that you're giving your life for. And this in no way means dying, but it could mean dying as well, literally dying. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it, I believe it's laying down your life, literally willing to sacrifice for the sake of another person. Can you really be a ride or die for someone else? Like that someone can know that look, no matter what come on to me, this person will stick out their neck for me. This person will put their life on the line for me. Can you be that to someone else? Can you be that? Can you be that person as a believer who you don't hold so tightly to your life? They're willing to lay down in sacrifice for someone else. They're willing to sell your goods, sell your possessions for the benefit of someone else. Are you that kind of person? Man, I have so many stories to share. I hope I will be able to do that. But if it comes to it, think about it. If if it comes to it, and someone who is dear to you, maybe not even be dear to you, but the person is a believer, and the person needs seven million naira for surgery, for example, and you are able to sell your possessions, or, or if you sell your possessions, I beg your pardon, it can give you, it can contribute at least two million, and every other person can contribute, but that's a huge sacrifice for you. But to save that person's life, you're willing to sell your possessions. Is that something you can do? And to you, this, this might sound foreign. I mean, everything, your wardrobe, you bring out all your clothes, your boxers, your singlet, everything, your shirts, trousers, you're bringing them out to sell everything. Your furniture, everything, you're selling it just to save someone's life. Or the chances that, it, it, just on the hopes that the surgery will be successful. You don't even know if it's going to be successful or not. You're willing to try. Can you do that? It sounds foreign to us in modern day Christianity sometimes, but that was, how the first church started. Literally, there was a command because of God's idea of welfare, God's love and, 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 and priority on welfare. He told all of them in the early church, sell everything you have. That's how Ananias and Sapphira got into trouble. <laughs> he said, sell everything. Sell it all. And bring the proceeds to the church. Let's take care of everybody. 
Lay down your life. I know you want these pleasures, but you've been called to a different kind of life. To, to be loosely attached to worldly possessions so much so that you can sell it all to save something. Powerful stuff. And I know I'm talk, I've been talking about sacrifice in terms of goods, in terms of giving and generosity, and you'll see why in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, pay attention, if you've been sleeping, wake up. G. Masun. It says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, you have possessions, you have things, you have some cash. You might not have as much, but you have something. And you see someone, a brother, a sister in Christ in need, you close your eyes to it, you ignore it, you see it on that status, you swipe to the next status, you see the cry for help. You ignore the text and leave it unread. You see the missed calls, you don't pick it up. You shut your heart from this person. How does the love of God abide in you? How? How can you say that God's love is in you? It's talking about practical generosity. That anytime you see someone with genuine need, and I'm emphasizing genuine now, because, of course, when it comes to generosity, you must always temper it with what? With wisdom. I remember, I remember one time I was so passionate about giving. I've always been um, generous. I'm not saying this to blow my trumpet, but I've always been generous growing up. And I remember one time I was passing the road. I had um, about 2,000 naira on me. And it was 1,000 naira notes, another 1,000 naira notes, making up 2,000. And I was just passing. Sorry. Yes, I had 2,000 naira that day. And bought things that were meant to buy worth of how much? 900 naira. So I bought everything. So I was down to 1,100 naira. So I had a 1,000 naira note, and I had a 100 naira note. And I was passing the place, got down from the bus, and I saw a woman who was with her baby. You know, and she was saying, ah, please, uncle, help us. So she was under the sun, she was holding an umbrella. Uncle, help us, so please. And she was wearing white. And she had this cap, and, and I didn't know who she was, but she was wearing all white, wearing this cap, doing this. And she was saying, Uncle, help me, oh, help me, oh. And without, you know, missing a beat, I just, ah. This money I have was what I was going to use to go home. But with 100 naira, I can take one um, bus, but I have to walk for like 30 minutes to get to my house. So I said, okay, it's fine, no problem. I gave her the 1,000 naira. Took my went, took a bus, had a long walk. And then I was just narrating the story to one of my uncles, and I was like, oh, describe this woman. And I said, Oh, she's the one at that place, she was wearing all white. I said, Oh, you should not have done that. This woman, she's a ritual, you know, she's a ritual person. They know her, she does ritual, you know, people's money. There was someone's story that she heard that, you know, she collected their money and she appeared in the person's house. <laughs> All this scary. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But she didn't come to my house so far. I'm personally not scared about those things, really. You know, but the part that struck me was that in giving her money, I was aiding the work she was doing. I was supporting, in quotes, the ritual stuff she was doing. Do you understand? So I'm not saying this is scary. I know it's Halloween season. I'm not saying this is scary. I'm just telling you that there is wisdom in giving. When you identify a genuine need, this fist must never be tight and never be closed. Your pockets 
must never be closed. You open them freely. You open them. Be generous. And how do you identify a genuine need? Number one, check that track record if you have a track. If you have a record of what they've done, how you know integrous they've been. You can check it. Check that track record if they have integrity. This person has had no reason to, to give anybody any cause of alarm. So this could be a genuine need. Number two, assess the nature of the need. Is this a need or is it a want? Right? Is this something that they really just want to satisfy some craving? Is this just something that would aid laziness or support laziness? You know? Um, so assess the nature of the need. Number three, ask yourself, is this a loan or is this a dash? Like, is this money? If it goes and never comes back, you're fine with it. Like, are you giving, are you borrowing, or are you really just giving it up completely? Assess, you know? Uh, and then pray to discern. Pray to discern, really, because sometimes people take advantage of people, and that's the truth. I'm not saying that you should be unwise, and oh, because you took advantage of Jesus, so then take advantage of me. Say, everybody come, take advantage of me. This is love. This is what love is, take advantage of me. I don't mind, I don't care. That's not it, that's not it. God wants you to be wise. He's giving you a brain to give him rest. He's giving you wisdom so you can get life. So assess a genuine need. And when you identify a genuine need, the question is, do you really have the love of God if you don't meet that need? Praise the name of Jesus. Look at verse 18. Let's get here. Glory to God. Glory to God. It says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. I. So I'm, I'm making my case, and my case is making sense now. A lot of people can tell you they love you. They love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. Where's the proof? Where's the proof? It's all mere words until some action follows. If Jesus told, you know, if the story of Jesus, our Lord, was just, I love you. For God so loved the world, he said, oh. I love you guys. Hugs and kisses. Blah, blah, blah. You're so cute, guys. I love you with all of my heart. I love you, love you, love you. Next day, I love you. Next day, I love you. I love you. It's never a case of he loves me, he loves me, not I always love you. And, and that's all he does. You get to the point to say, ah, wait, okay. I understand you love me, but how? How can I perceive love? Because the nature of love, in terms of his, its perception, is that actions follow it. God so loved the world, he did something to prove it. He gave his life. So now you're seeing from verse 16, it seemed, oh, we're to give our lives to like he did, let's make a cross, let's die literally on the cross. No, he's, he's trying to step it down and show you how. He tells you, don't just love in your word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, in action, and do it truthfully, let us see it. Prove your love. It's similar to what James said, and I think the writings of James and John are so similar. James echoes this and says, faith without works is what? Meaningless, it's dead. Don't tell me you believe something if you're not doing anything about it. Don't tell me you love someone if you're not proving it with your actions. Go the extra mile. And the question to you is, what are you doing actually to prove that you love the brethren? What are you doing daily? What are you doing? Do you ever consider people 
who are believers but are outside your immediate friends friend circle. I think a lot of us we are so inside our circle. Maybe you have those two or three friends, and those are the people you always talk to. You're always you're about their business, and that's good. That's great. That's healthy friendship to talk to people in your circle consistently. But when you stay in too much, it's it's not healthy. What about those that are brothers and sisters in the church? You might not be too close to them, but have you reached out to them? Have you said a word to them? You've maybe even here, even if I, you've heard this person, you've heard their name, you've, you've never talked to them not once. I'm telling you that people are very, very accommodating of you if you try. I'm telling you, I can bet you that if you check in on someone right now who's a member of Vivify as you are as well, you just check in on them and say, hey, how are you? I've been seeing you on the group chat, and this is not uh, for checking or this is not what I'm saying that you are going to toast bread. Yes. <laughs> you can't toast bread except you you know what you want. Um, but please, you should actually. Let's let's keep it in the family. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, I mean just sincerely without ulterior motives. Reach out to someone. I've been seeing your name. You've been on this group chat. Maybe you're even the person's group group. I've been seeing you. We've never talked. I just wanted to check in on you. Are you okay? Are you fine? Is there anything you need? And how can I pray for you? What can I pray for you about? See, there's nobody in their life that will see you and say, yes, you must be stupid for sending this thing. Get out of my DMs. Nobody will do that. It's the exact opposite. They would feel that you actually love them. You can't just come on the group and say, love you all. And you've not proven that love you all. You've not. We do it so often. I think we are just very mindless about the things we say, and that's why we enter a lot of trouble. But John is saying there's no mindlessness. If you tell me that you love someone, you will do something about it. You will reach out to someone. You will go outside of your circle. You will interact. You know, it goes beyond just words. It's material. Like, mean your words. Mean your words. Genuinely pray for people. Check in on people. Like, can you just meet a stranger that you've met for the first time and make them feel like family from the day one? Can you do that? That's what we're talking about. Love. Proving it. We say we're a family of love, but we need to go the extra mile. We're too in our space, in our circle of me, myself, and I. We need to move beyond. I know that you have a nine to five. I know you have a business on the side. I know that you're raising 20 kids. I know that you're doing this and you're doing that, and the world is on your shoulders. But can you at least step outside? Step outside, see road, look at your brothers and sisters, ask them questions, serve them. You know, it was only until my birthday that I realized that, that that's all I want to do. What is on my bio on WhatsApp, which is I live to serve. That's what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to just keep serving and just serving. That's the best kind of leadership, to serve, to be there, to be present, to be invested. And I'm not saying you'll be able to reach a, a thousand people and a hundred, hundred people, but as many as you can, prove your love to them. Leave the shores of your island and visit other islands. It, it reminds me uh, of the time I went to Seychelles. So I went to Seychelles uh, by the grace of God and the power of money. Um, <laughs> yes, that's important. Um, I went to Seychelles for my honeymoon. And Seychelles is, is a beautiful place. By the way, it's in Africa. A lot of people don't know that. It's right on top of Madagascar and sandwiched with... Uh, Mauritius as well. I think Mauritius is sandwiched in between that. Um, but Seychelles is in Africa. The, the parts that you see at the, at the map that is separated, yeah, but it's still Africa. And it consists of 115 islands, right? 
and there's a word for it. It's called an archipelago. An archipelago. An archipelago is a group of extensive islands. So um, it's not like maybe a Nigeria where it's one country, different states. It's like every state is separated by water. Every state is an island. And, and I, I thought about it and I'm like, man, these islands, as much as they are separated and apart, they are heavily dependent on each other. So in one island, which is called Mahe, they have an airport, they have a good network road system. Uh, you know, they have this, they have that. They have some nice beaches as well. But when you go to another side, another island, like Ladiga La Praline, and you, you see some other islands, you see that some have luxurious hotels, the best, some of the best in the world that the others don't have. And you go to another island and you see that they have limestone there that you can use to produce cement that the other doesn't have. And you see another one that has strong water resources and a dam that was built. And another island that has this, another island that has that, another island that has mineral resources, another island that has timber production, another island where they break rocks and mountains to make you know, stone and use it for building and construction. But all these islands by themselves don't have all that they need. So you see them transporting some of the stone from one island to the other island and transform and, and taking some of the, the, the farm produce from one island to the other island. And, and it just shows me that as much as you're your own person, as much as you're your own island, you cannot stand by yourself. You cannot. Another island has something to contribute to you and you have something you can contribute to another island. Powerful thing. Powerful. That 115 islands make up one country. That 115 members of the ministry are part of the body of Christ. Similar with the gifts of the Spirit. That we are different members but same body. Same body of Christ. See, God, God will hold you accountable if you are not accountable to the rest of the body. I'm going to say that again. God will hold you accountable if you are not accountable for the rest of the body of Christ. If you've not supplied a joint, if you've not met a need, and not just with words, and, and words are important too. There's substance in words. Sometimes the need is encouragement, the need is exhortation. But more than just mere words, you need to prove you love people from here. There must be substance. Substance given. Thank you. And I know a lot of people. From experience, I know a lot of people are not as eager because they're one of those islands expecting people to visit them. Mm. Oh, what do I have? I only have coconuts. I only have sand. Do you know that even sand can be used to make glass? <clears throat> Did you know that? So yes, I just have this. I, I don't have anything to give anyone. If I need people to give me, and, and, and this is what I'm saying, that even in your place of need, you can still meet needs. Even in your place of need, you can still meet needs. I'll give you a scriptural example if you don't believe me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 1 to 5 very quickly. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Are you there? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're reading from verse 1 to 5. Let's go. Paul is speaking here and he says, Now I want you to know, their brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the, the Corinthians and he's trying to give them a biblical, uh, a real life example that he wants them to adopt. 
He says, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. And when you read the account of how Paul went there, it was by a dream. Paul had a vision of someone in Macedonia saying, come, we need help, we need help. That's how he started the churches there. So he's talking about these churches, they've grown. And it is something spectacular that he wants the Corinthians to adopt. Look at what he says, number two, verse two. They are being tested by many troubles. They're going through a terrible time right now. They're in great need. There's tribulations, and this is how he defines them. <laughs> he says they are very poor. He didn't say, ah, they are, you know, they are rich, they are counterbalanced. He said, he said they are poor. Very poor, in fact. But he says, but they are also filled with abundant joy. My goodness. This is what the, this is what the Christian life can afford you. So going through temptations and tribulations and persecution and lack, but there's still joy. Which has overflowed in such rich generosity. Verse 3. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford. Listen. They gave not only what they could afford. They were poor. They were still able to afford something. That tells you something. That's, that's, that's even more than enough, I think. That they were poor. They were in need. But they were able to raise some funds. But far more. So, he said they, that they gave not only what they could afford, but even much more. So, they even had to borrow to raise the money, to raise the re relief, to raise the resources. And they did it of their own free will. He's given an example of people that have eternal life running through their veins. Glory to God. He's talking about your brothers and sisters in those days who were able to replicate the love that Jesus portrayed. Verse, verse 3, verse 4, I beg your pardon, says, They begged us, look at their hearts, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So there was an island called Jerusalem, there was an island called Macedonia. They're not real islands, I'm just giving the analogy I used. There's an island called Jerusalem who had deep needs, deep lack. Because they were persecuted by, by, by the Jews, they were heavily persecuted. They had to run, they had to hide, they were, it was really bad for them. And they needed to raise relief materials to sustain them. And guess who stands up? Not the church with 20 billion in their account. The ones that were suffering themselves raised money for another one that is suffering. It blows my mind. They said they wanted to participate in the privilege of giving to these people. This is a mindset. It's a mindset that is unheard of. It's against what the world will portray. <sighs> Verse 5, it says, They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action, and this is it, was to give themselves to the Lord. And then to us, just as God wanted them to do. I, I'm reminded of a time, reminded of a time back in, in my uni days, um, where I was in great need. I was soaking Gary day after day. I, I, didn't, I was just relying on the remaining provisions I had. And many people didn't know about it. Um, I'm not one to hide when I have needs, but with this one, I was just, I was just being patient. I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. Um, and so in that period of time, this was my third year in, in university, while I was still in great need, soaking Gary, 
I remember, and this is something I always prayed about, that God should give me the grace to truly love. I've always, if you know me, you know that I'm all about love. It's love. We have a conference dedicated to this, right? Crazy Love Conference. I'm all about love. And I said, Lord, in this time, how would you want me to love? That's what that's my priority. It was not about what's my next meal. I didn't care. Lord, how 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 can I love someone? In that period, I gave two suits that I liked. I gave two suits away. I I sponsored three people's feedings in that semester. I think it was around five thousand or seven thousand naira each for those three people. And just so you have perspective, my my earnings that month or my allowance for each month was between forty thousand to forty-five thousand. They varied, but that one was forty thousand. So I'd already given more than half in just helping people's feeding. And then I gave two of my suits. And then at the same time, there was someone who was about to get into school in a state university, uh, public state university, and I paid for the person's school fees with the rest of the cash. But somehow, somehow in that same period, I still experienced much generosity from people I didn't even expect. Because how God makes it work is that you, uh, how God makes it work is that you literally can be the answered prayer to someone. And you can also be the direct hindrance to God's supply in someone else's life. You can. You can. This is how God meets needs. It's the same way it's always been. That you are willing to sell all you have to sustain the rest of the world. That's how God provides. That's always been his method. And in that time, thankfully, thankfully, thanks be to God, someone obeyed the Lord, yielded in generosity and loved me and sustained me through that time. Praise the name of Jesus. See, don't, don't let your situation hinder you from fulfilling God's plan for your life, even in this way. Don't let your situation hinder you and stop you from representing the love of God as you should. Don't do that. Resist the urge not to help, even when you're going through a time of need. God wants you to be a Macedonian in this way. He wants you to rise above your needs. A lot of us are so all about me, myself. No, I can't do anything right now. It's all about me. I understand. I'm not saying every time you don't have anything, you should start borrowing and put yourself in debt. I'm not saying that. I'm saying even if you have just a little, support you that God will take care of you. That's the confidence we have. That there are other people like you who are willing to say yes to help people meet people's needs, who also say yes to helping meet yours. Trust that God is a faithful God. Praise the name of Jesus. So be the answer to people's prayers. Verse 19. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. The Greek word is pesomen, which means to give confidence. You know, we shall assure. When you do this, when you don't just give in word, but you also give and love in deed in, and in truth, you assure your heart that there's confidence before God. I'm an evil representative, an ambassador of your love. I've done it. Not just by my words, I've proven it. I've done it. There's an assurance that comes with it. That's what the scripture is saying. That you're not a hypocrite. You've truly loved. There's a confidence that comes knowing that you've represented God and his love the right way. Yes or yes? There is. There is an assurance. When you've done right by God and you know that you represented him the right way. And because some of us, we're not sensitive to know that our actions are directly linked to God. When the Bible says that, let mental light so shine before men in Matthew chapter 5, 
they might see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That's a direct link. It's saying you're an ambassador. So people see God in you. If you are loving, they see God. If you are hating, they see someone else. So there's an assurance that you've done right by God. You've represented his love the right way. When you don't just love in word, but also in deed. Verse 20. I'm going to rush as quickly as I can. It says, now this is one that is very controversial. A lot of people don't understand this verse and it's difficult for some reason, but we're going to, we're going to go into it for a while. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. There are two views. There are two, two views to this. And, and I'll, I'll leave you to decide. I'll give you what I think it might mean. But I'll also leave you to decide. And when you read by yourself, I hope it, it becomes clearer to you. The first view is that John is trying to assure us that God is greater than our heart. In the ten, inside it says that we cannot base our relationship with God purely on how we feel in that moment. So if, if your heart condemns you, that's just a feeling. God is greater than your heart and he knows all things, meaning that it, it, your condemnation inside has nothing to do with your standing with God. It may be the work of the enemy, plaguing your mind, condemning you, making you feel like you haven't done right. But God is above your heart. He is greater. He sees better. He's not your heart. And he still accepts you. You know, sometimes our hearts condemn, condemn us, but, um, and it gives the wrong credit, right? But we have a chance to take it to a higher court. We can take it to God who is greater than our heart and knows all things. So that's the first view. God is greater than our heart. It's not about how you feel or the condemnation you feel. God is greater than that. That's the first view. The second view, though, is that if your conscience condemns you, God does so as well. In the sense that if you don't feel right with God, it's a possibility that God sees you as such. That he's giving you a conscience to discern between you know, right and wrong. And if you feel truly that you're wrong, possibly God also feels that way because he's greater than your heart and he sees and knows all things. All right, that's one part. It also says if your conscience um, acquits you, your conscience relieves you, and you see that in the next verse, that God does so as well, right? And you have confidence with God. So these are the two views. One is saying that no, God is greater than your heart. It's not about what you feel right now. God still loves you regardless. And that is so true. I believe with all my heart, it is super true. I believe that God um, rises above the condemnation we feel because there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit as Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says. But the second one says that look, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. He sees all things in the sense that if your heart pricks you, it's probably a testament to the fact that God, um, you're, you're not walking and representing God the way you should. Mm. I'll read verse 21 and tell you what I think is more probable. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, so he talked about if your heart condemns you. But the second one says, but beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence with God. We have confidence with God. Right? And I'm going to read this, this, this citing from the definition of confidence that uh, a Greek scholar mentioned and explained. Um, a Greek scholar called Dodd, his last name is Dodd, and he said this, the word rendered confidence stood in ancient Greece 
but the most valued right of a citizen of a free state is the right to speak his mind unhampered by fear or shame. So the confidence is one where you can stand boldly and shortly without fear or, or shame. So he's literally saying, I believe he's saying the first one, that if, you, if your conscience pricks you, if your heart, which is synonymous for conscience, if it pricks you, you know, there's reason to not have confidence with God. If it does not, then you have confidence towards God that you're representing him the right way. I personally feel, um, and this is something that I, you can agree to disagree, you can check for yourself, but I do believe that in the context, while it's true that there's definitely no condition, there's definitely no condemnation in Christ Jesus, I believe that truly if your heart condemns you in the way that you act towards people, many times it's an acid test. This whole scripture is all about testing, proving. How can you prove that you love someone except you do? Right? So if, if your heart condemns you in a case where you've not actively done a good work to someone, it's a testament. God knows all things. He sees all things, right? He's above your heart. God is greater than your heart. And he even knows more. He sees more. Do you understand? But if there's confidence, if, if your heart is not condemning, then there is some confidence. And it tells you that you truly are proving your love walk with the Lord. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clear. I hope it's not too confusing to, to grasp. But I do believe that sometimes, your, many times, your conscience is a good check to know if you are the right, especially your conscience renewed by the Spirit, which you will see in verse 24 again. There is, a, there is an assurance that the Holy Spirit gives. There's a conviction as well that the Holy Spirit gives to you to let you know if you are in the right or in the wrong. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing to God. Praise the name of Jesus. And this, this can seem very weird. This particular verse, you know, I, I almost used, I used to wrestle with it, you know, the first times I read it in 2015, 2016. I used to wrestle with it because I was coming to understand grace. And here's John telling me that whatever we ask, we receive from God. Because the reason why I'm receiving from God is because we're keeping his commandments. It almost starts to seem like we're earning our answered prayers. That we are only receiving these things because we're doing his commandments. And doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. But here's how I see this verse. I, I believe that there is just a boldness. And boldness is synonymous to your faith. There's a confidence you carry. You know, when you are in the right with God, not just by your standing, but your, by your doing, which is what John has been emphasizing, that righteousness, the one who does right, one who is righteous is the one who does righteousness, not just who is righteous. And so he's saying that there is, there is a confidence, there's a boldness that whatever you ask, you receive from him because you're keeping his commandments and because you're doing things that are pleasing in his sight. There is a confidence. And John, this same John, talks about it much later in chapter 5. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But he says something similar there. He says, this is the confidence that we have, that whatever we ask in his name, he hears us and is able to give us that which we have asked. There's a confidence. There's a faith that flows when you're doing right to God. And maybe you've experienced this. You've made some mistakes. How, how do you pray to God? When the day before you wanted to ask God for something, you had lost it, or you had lied, or you have been angry and, and sinned through your anger, how do you come to God the next day? 
it's not as nearly as well as when you've spent the whole day serving people, loving people, and, and giving generosity to them. When you come to God and say, God, I need this too. I've helped people, and I didn't do it just to get your help, but I'm doing it because I'm in truly, I'm, I'm in true, genuine need. Help me. There's a, there's a, your faith is stronger. Your boldness and your confidence is stronger than when you are just lying, stolen, being angry, and you've gone, God, I need this. The, the confidence is not there. I believe this is what he's talking about. That confidence before God because of, of us keeping his commandments. Praise the name of Jesus. I hope that's clear. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. What is his commandment? So commandment in the book of 1 John is not ambiguous. It's not just anything. It's specific. We've covered it before and he's re-emphasizing it again here. This is God's commandment. This is what gives you the confidence to come before him. Number one, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the commandment. This is how you keep the commandment, by loving God so much. And this translates in, in those things, you know, the, the commandments we have defined earlier, to love God and to love people. It, it's part of it. If you love God, you will believe in his Christ. If you love God, you will honor God's provision of salvation by believing in his Christ. So that we should believe on the name of the Son of God. That's the commandment. That's interesting, isn't it? That you can have boldness and receive from the Lord because you believe in Christ. I'm linking verse 22 with verse 23. So whatever we ask from him, we receive from him because we what? We keep his commandments. And one of the commandments is to believe in Jesus Christ. So just by reason of your faith in Jesus, you can receive from the Lord. So this is not even just by earning the things you ask God from, you know, but by your faith in Christ, you have access to them. You have an inheritance in God. And the second one is to love one another. And this is what he's been emphasizing in this chapter to love people, to love one another, to love the brethren. When you do those two things, which are not tedious, of course, by the help of the Spirit, they're not ambiguous, they're not tedious, you will have boldness and confidence before the Lord. Verse 24, and this is the last one as we close. It says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. We've just explained the commandments. If you keep them, you are abiding in him. You are in him. And he is in you. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he had given to us. You're walking in God when you're doing his will. That's what he's saying. When you're doing his commandments, you know, you're abiding in God. But there's a confidence, there's an assurance that comes by the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 verse 8 to 9 emphasizes this. It says, Romans 8, verse 8 to 9 says, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are in the Spirit. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And then downwards, he says that you know, the Spirit of God bears with us with our spirit that we are children of God. So, we know that God abides in us. There's an assurance because we have the Holy Spirit. We have an assurance that the spirit of love God has given to us within has given us the ability to walk in the same love. And by so doing, we abide in God. Do you see the flow? The spirit of love is deposited in us and it gives us the ability to love. 
And by loving, we are keeping God's commandments. And that's how we abide in Him. And that's how He abides in us. Because if we love God who is love, we are abiding in love. We are abiding in God. Do you understand? If you abide in love, you abide in God. If you abide in love, you abide in God. Does that make sense? And God abides in you. It's very simple. And it's all because there is a spirit of love that was given to you, installed in you, to live out the life of love. Can we just turn this to prayer right now? It's been a long read, but I'm going to pray honestly from the bottom of your heart. God wants you so badly to be his ambassador, to represent him the way he wants to. He wants that so much for you. I want you right now, first things first, to let go of the hatred. There might still be traces of it. And sometimes just by thinking about that person, the thoughts that flow to your mind, they're not thoughts that ought to flow. They're not godly thoughts. They're not things that are true, that are good, that are pure, that are lovely. They are not. And so they are not of God. I want you to pray now with all of your heart. God is a master desire changer. And asking God right now, change my desires. Help me to love this person like you loved me. Help me to not be like the unmerciful servant who was forgiven much and can't forgive. Help me to let it all go. To let it all go right now. To let go of the pain. To let go of the hurt. For some of you, it's your parents. It's your parents. They've hurt you. Your mom has hurt you. Your dad has hurt you. They've been emotionally and verbally abusive to you. Maybe even physically. Let go. Some of you in your childhood, in your past, there, there are certain people you haven't let go of who have hurt you. Let them go now by the power of the risen Christ and by the power of his spirit that raised him from the dead. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go. It could be a friend that betrayed you. It could be an ex that promised you the world but left you still. Let them go. That ex that cheated on you, that ex that took you for granted, let them go. Truly let them go. That brother or sister in Christ that leaked your secret, that spoke behind your back, let it go. Forgive. Forgive. It is a paradox to be an unforgiving Christian. No greater paradox than that. That you've been forgiven much and you can't forgive much. Forgive and let it go. Lord, I pray for these ones making this prayer that you will truly heal their hearts. No grievances, no bitterness, no anger, no malice, no strife, no spite, no resentment, no jealousy or envy, no bitterness. I remove them from your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, it's love, it's kindness, it's patience, it's long-suffering. It's self-control, it's tolerance, it's goodness that fills your heart by the Spirit henceforth in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. A few minutes more. Let them go. Let them go. Break the healing, Jesus. It doesn't have to be the ones who deserve it. We didn't deserve it. They don't deserve it, but still we will love. Still we will forgive. Still we will forbear one another. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us. It's not easy. It's not. But help us. Help our hearts. Help us to let go. Help us to live a free, light life. To live peaceably with all men. According as it is in us to do. To live peaceably with all men. Oh, thank you, Father. To resolve conflict even when we're not the ones that fought. Help us, Lord. 
It's not the way the world works, but it's the way you work. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Lord, we ask this one more thing. I want you to pray this law of your heart. Say this to God. God, help me to love not just in word, but in deed. Help me to step out of my circle. Step out of my island. Help me to reach out to others in the, in the, in the body of Christ. Help me to reach out to them, to truly check in on them, to love them, whether they are my ministry gifts, whether they are my co-laborers, whether they are my they're co-members in the ministry, wherever they are, maybe they are part of another ministry, but they, they identify as children of God. Lord, help me to reach out. Help me to love in material things, in words even, but more than words, to give sacrificially, to meet needs, to live a life of service, to live a life of sacrifice. Help me, help me, help me, not just to be complacent in my circle. Help me to reach out. Help me to be bold, to check in on people. Help me to mean my how are you, and how was your day, and how have you been. Help me to mean it, not just as a gesture, not just as a salutation, but to mean it because I want to meet a need. Help me to be intentional about being an answer prayer to people. Help me to be more intentional that in this way I fulfill ministry, that in this way I walk in love, that in this way I truly represent you on earth in the name of Jesus. Come on, pray right now. Oh, do you understand how serious this prayer is? Pray right now. Pray right now. This is what helps give you confidence before him, that you're walking in his love. Pray right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, glory to your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray for these ones that are here, represented, ready to love like you love, ready to be a ride or die for someone else, ready to lay down their lives, give it if need be, their actual lives if it needed, just to save someone else, to lose hold of our lives and lose hold of our possessions, to seek the things that are above and not the things that are on the earth. Lord, this is the, this is the, the ask we ask right now, that you will strengthen us by your spirit to love the way you want us to love. To obey your commandments in this way. First, to love you by, by putting faith in your son and also to love others. Let that be the mark of our life, the identity of our lives. That these are a people of selfless living. These are a people of selfless, selfless disposition. A people that are willing to go beyond their means just to support the next guy just to put a cloth on the other person's shoulder, just to put some food in that person's mouth, that we will not close our eyes, oh God, to needs, genuine needs of people, or we'll rise to the occasion and be answered prayers. There will be answered prayers. There will be answered prayers all day long, all year long, for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Father, for this grace we have received. We love you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Come on, shout it out. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it. 
and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.